This is the podcast, Where Does It Go? I'm Emily. I'm Sarah. And it's a podcast about stuff. Uh, Good morning, Sarah. How are you? I'm fabulous. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, I was just telling Sarah that my notes for today are in hot pink jelly pen, uh, which is totally inappropriate for the subject matter, because today I'm talking about cemeteries and burial grounds that are no longer being used as cemeteries or burial grounds. So sort of change of use for cemeteries. Where does the, or where do the headstones, the interred people, uh, the sculptures and things and gates and whatever go? And what would someone want to use a cemetery for other than a cemetery? Uh, And in looking at this topic, there's a huge amount of legal wrangling about this, which I had no idea about. Uh, yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense, just because people are real fun. They can never visit their relatives, and then they get real funny if you want to move them, apparently. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it can even get real funny if all the relatives do want to move them. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. So my the last source I looked at... Uh, was the most overarching source for information just sort of about disinterment and the rights of a corpse and things like that. So there's sort of three aspects to this whole topic. There's what happens to the actual cemetery itself. What would a cemetery be used for in the future? What happens to the bodies, the interred bodies there? And what happens to the headstones? Because What happens to the headstones is not always what happens to the body. And what happens to the body and the headstones is not always that they get moved. Uh, It should be, but that doesn't mean it is. Uh, And I have spent a peculiar amount of time in my life in cemeteries, I think. Uh, Sarah and I actually went and uh, hung out in a cemetery two weeks ago. (laughs) It was fantastic. It was really fun. That cemetery is so gorgeous. The Maplewood Cemetery in Durham, it's so pretty. And nobody was there. It was, it was like ghostly. Nobody was there. Yeah, it was beautifully (laughs) kept. My two-year-old had a very good time playing hide and seek. It was neat to see all of the, it, all of the people the streets are named after in Durham are buried there. I swear every single one is in that specific cemetery. Uh, and it's, it's really well maintained. Yes. Uh, so that's kind of why I wanted to do today's topic, uh, just because we had hung out in a cemetery. And then also, I have been to places where cemeteries used to be. Uh, and... One of them was in Dublin, Ireland, and most of the time, a change of use for cemetery is either to build a building, expand a road, or to make a park because no, there's no room to bury anyone else there, and all of the graves are so old that it's probable that most people who would be visiting relatives there or loved ones uh, are no longer in any 
position to be visiting anybody, uh, I guess, except as ghosts. Uh, so they <laughs> passed away or discontinued visiting. Uh, and I have been to, I think, more than one park that used to be a cemetery. So what does a municipality do if they are looking to change the use of a cemetery? Uh, it kind of depends on how old the cemetery is and where it is because different states have different laws different states have different definitions for what's like an archaeological cemetery what is a historic cemetery what is a cemetery or a burial plot in a cemetery overseen by the veterans association versus overseen by the private cemetery versus overseen by the people's family so it all kind of depends on who owns what. Right. And I know that military um, burials and military treatment of, of remains is completely different than civilian treatment of remains. Mm-hmm. It's very specific. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I read just a little bit about the law involving the, you know, the VA and their, it's the, what is it, the National Cemetery Administration, which I thought was, versus association or department or anything like that. Uh, So we've sort of started with the change of use. Uh, Depending on where you are, you may not be legally able to ever change the use of a cemetery or burial ground. Uh, Apparently Calgary in Alberta, Canada. God, I hope it's in Alberta. I'm not going to look it up right now so we don't hear clicks in the background, but I'm pretty sure (laughs) Calgary is in Alberta. And if not, I will edit this out. Uh, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, You cannot move cemetery or human remains. You you can't do it. It's illegal. So the city of Calgary has sort of bent or bent. That's not a word. Built. That's a swear word in British, I think. Uh, (laughs) I think that's an insult. Yeah. Anyway, built itself around several cemeteries, uh, somewhat similar to how the Maplewood Cemetery is in Durham, but obviously these cemeteries are much larger. Calgary is a larger city. By so, the way, Calgary is in, uh, is in Alberta. Oh, thank You're God. Right. Yes. <laughs> I'm not a geographer, but I do have a post-baccalaureate certification in geographic information science, so... I should, oh, okay. I should try really hard to get where things are. Right. So places like Calgary have been built entirely around cemeteries. It has guided municipal planning completely as the city evolves, which is probably really a challenge, uh, both because of different differing land use around the cemetery which results in different water movement and things like that and then also uh changing attitudes toward visiting cemeteries and changing populations because a lot of how burials are treated is cultural it depends on where you live and how you grew up and how your ancestors treated their ancestors uh so that must be a real challenge. And then you have play, things like the Tennessee Valley Authority uh, who moved or potentially said they moved a lot of cemeteries because parts of 
their jurisdiction were being flooded because of dams for, you know, electrical generation, generation of electricity. So it depends on the land use and where you live and the laws, which is a very, I'm not a lawyer, so I know that's very broad. Uh, So we've kind of covered like why a cemetery might change in use. And there are a lot of places where cemeteries have been that people are just sort of horrified that they've been moved uh, or don't care at all and think they're in the way of progress. Uh, One thing that I had not thought about, which is very white middle-class lady of me, (laughs) is uh, indigenous people's burial grounds. Uh, Indigenous American burial grounds are, I am sure, not treated like, say, the Maplewood Cemetery. Yes. And I I personally think that's awful in that you can tell how civilized a society is by how they treat their dead is something I read or heard once, and I thought it was a very striking argument because... It's something we don't have to do. We choose to do. I mean, we have to take care of dead bodies in that they can spread disease and putrefaction is a problem, but we don't have to do it ceremoniously and we don't have to do it with any pomp or honor or anything like that. We choose to and want to, and it is important to us to do so. So sort of spitting in the face of that because you want to move a road and aren't going to participate in what a particular culture, a particular group of people wants done with their ancestors and their burial grounds is, to me, gross. Uh, and I, it's sad to me that it did not occur to me that that would be something to think about because I've always been bothered by moving mummies to museums. It gives me the creeps. Uh, because that's a discontinuation of the use of a burial ground and you're turning it into either an archaeological site and it's no longer no nobody's buried there anymore or a tourist destination and nobody's buried there anymore uh yeah, you know i don't go ahead oh it's like you know i don't actually mind if people go and see tombs and burial plots that have obviously been established to be seen and to memorialize someone and the person is allowed to still stay there. Uh, It's more very odd to me that that is something that's treated fairly cavalierly. They're people. They're still people, even if they're 2000 years old. Uh, And it, it bothers me that the remains are moved, particularly with the level of documentation we can come up with today. And if we don't find out, that they had this intricate tattoo or that thing buried with them. It's just a personal disagreement I've had for a long time. Uh, And I'm also not an archeologist, so there may be perfectly reasonable arguments about why it's fine, but. Yeah. It's a bit of cultural myopathy, you know, where you just can't see beyond your own culture. I think is how a lot of um, especially um, native and indigenous peoples were they're they're 
remains were treated. Um, they, you know, we just assume they want to be buried just like we do and they have their own traditions and their own um, religious things attached to um, burial. And as far as mummies, I don't know if uh, I'm thinking of Egypt. I don't know if Egypt has gotten a little bit more strict or not, since I'm also not an archaeologist, but I would hope that they have um, just because it, it is part of their their history and their culture. I don't know. I believe it is my understanding from being a child who watched a tremendous amount of television that <laughs> uh, they're doing more of it themselves. Uh, okay. Which is good in that at least it is a group of people who are associated with the people that they are uh, potentially excavating and they are they have their own rules and regulations about how things are done and i don't mean to dump on archaeologists i wanted to be an archaeologist or a paleontologist really badly when i was a kid yeah and uh I wanted to be one of the people that like sits in a museum and puts dinosaur skulls back together after they've been smashed a bit. So I didn't even want to be like a fun, cool one who was out in, out in a desert digging things up. But uh, it's really more past. A lot of it is past practices. Right. A lot of them have changed, but like you can go to the Detroit Institute of arts and see mummies, like actual mummified people yeah that's very strange and you know the peruvian ice maiden and things like that that are you know she was meant to stay on top of that mountain that was not a plan to take her down and it's it's weird that she was i think she was I, if i'm wrong i apologize uh, and that's just a personal opinion so we'll we'll go with that as a that's an editorial, <laughs> but it is something that is, done, <laughs> nice. is that sometimes bodies are considered so historically important or so interesting that they are moved from their burial ground and their burial ground is turned into either simply an archaeological site or a tourist destination. That's a thing that happens. Uh, and then there's also private cemeteries, uh, family cemeteries, cemeteries on private land. Versus, say, a public cemetery or a cemetery that receives public funds uh, or one that's just, a, like, a very large communal burial ground. Because uh, I don't know the laws between, like, I don't, I don't know how public versus private cemetery really works. Uh, but private cemeteries, like family cemeteries, uh, the, the buyer of a property may need to obtain a court order to relocate a cemetery on their property should they choose to uh, repurpose the land. And it may actually be very difficult to do that uh, because uh, a body has interment rights and disinterment is treated even legally, which kind of surprised me because we don't always treat bodies and people like bodies and people but when they're deceased, apparently it's it's somewhat rigid. Uh, but if the if if there are family members that may want to visit the cemetery, it may be and may want to keep it there. It may be very difficult to get a court order to relocate it. 
Uh, I have come across family cemeteries in several states on different properties. Uh, All of the ones that I visited in West Virginia when I lived there were very well, you know, they were well kept. They were visited regularly. They were not discontinued in use. Like the people that own the property that the cemeteries were on wanted to be buried in them. They wanted their family to be buried there. Uh, But I've also stumbled across very occasionally uh, cemeteries in North Carolina, I think only one or two that were discontinued in use. And like people didn't know they were there. There were trees, you know, pine trees that were 40 or 50 years old growing in them. They were not kept. They were not visited. uh, And not from, you know, lack of interest or anything like that. It just wasn't a burial place people were visiting any longer. Uh, Isn't that cool though? Um, There's a, there's one that um, is, on a road near me and it's this tiny, 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 tiny little cemetery. And I don't know the history of it. I really should look it up because I'm always curious. I drive by it, but it's like a postage stamp lot Mm -hmm. and there's a fence. There's two people on either side of it and they've built fences around their yards. So the cemetery itself faces the street so you can see it, but it's pretty much closed off from the houses around it. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious if the developer was like, you know, this is a great plot of land. We could put a, a, a house here and they just couldn't do it. They just couldn't move it because it's the strangest place. It's in suburbia. It's, you know, like the, the stones look really old. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if if it was a cemetery that was part of a larger plot of land. I'm going to bet it was, there was a plantation or something here or a farm. And it may be a historically significant family as well. It may be considered a, um, an archeological site or a historical site instead of just a burial ground. Yeah, that could Uh, be, I should look it up. Yeah. Um, the, the buyer of the property where we stumbled across a cemetery was a church, so they're not going to move it or do anything. Uh, they'll leave it be just as is, but some people may want to move the interred remains there and, uh, you have to get a court order and they have to be buried properly. That is typically the law on moving remains and moving headstones. Uh, mm-hmm. and if the property becomes, say, commercial or in use or is has been taken over by eminent domain, uh, there has to be some attempt to contact whoever may be responsible for the burials or interested in the burials. But that's really difficult to do. Uh, there may be announcements made and just attempts to find people, but it, it's it's very complex and sort of ad hoc per each burial ground. Uh, sometimes, uh, especially uh, long ago in ye olde times, they'd put announcements in the newspaper and say, come get your folks. And uh, I'm sure <laughs> that people were left in their uh, burial grounds and then stuff was built over them. Not always, but I'm sure it was the case that it occasionally happened. Yeah. Uh, A funeral home is usually who will handle the relocations, uh, which was interesting and hadn't thought about that. I haven't had to orchestrate a funeral ever. Uh, I'm sure I will in my life at some point, but 
you know, it didn't occur to me that it's just a funeral home that you would hire to move the remains. Uh, I will say that in Durham and probably in a lot of places, you need to contact, if you are disinterring remains, you need to contact probably your health department, local health department, or someone similar in order to uh, get, it's usually a piece of paperwork and then having someone from that department come and watch you disinter the bodies. Uh, I have actually been to a disinterment. I used to work for the Durham Health Department. And for some reason, my little department uh, involved in permitting wells and septic systems was the department that was handed the job of uh, witnessing disinterments. Interesting. It was very interesting. And it was moving a uh, casket from a vault in the cemetery that's on South Miami Boulevard, or is it North Miami Boulevard? I don't know. Miami Boulevard. Uh, and it was moved somewhere else. They wanted to be closer to family or something like that. And it was it was an interesting thing to be a part of. I didn't entirely understand why we're necessary, but I thought it was neat that we were invited to come and allowed to come. It was, uh, everyone was exceedingly respectful and it was, uh, very ceremonious and polite. So we had no issues to take, uh, with the people performing the disinterment. Uh, okay. I was wondering if as part of the health department, if you're just making sure that, you know, the remains don't come out of the ground and, you know, infect anything or bring back the plague or something but it, it sounds like I don't, I don't know <laughs> it's enti- it's enti- it wasn't entirely explained to me what i needed to be making sure of especially because i, I didn't have any law enforcement capacity but it was right it was, it, i think it was mostly to make sure that they were tr- the remains were treated with respect but awesome. also okay. i mean that includes don't dump them on the side of the road don't tip them out oh of their God. out of their coffin don't i don't know don't just like plop them in a hole in the ground, you know, making sure that things were done with a degree of ceremony that we were not verifying that it was like what the deceased wanted or anything, but making sure that things were just sort of handled in a way that did not make a mess or, or uh, involve treating the, the deceased poorly. Right. It's it's like, I, I understand that you personally, or I personally may have different feelings about what I should have done with my body, but those people and their families made the, the deliberate decision to, to bury them a certain way. And so to undo what they did um, and just dumping their loved ones on the side of the road, even if they've been dead for 200 years, um, is disrespectful. So mm-hmm. I may be, I may want to be buried under a tree and have a green burial, um, so don't chop down my tree, by the way. I want that too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not to chop down your tree, but <laughs> to be buried under Emily. a plant. Uh, so yeah, that was an interesting thing to be a part of. Uh, again, yeah. like I said, I've spent kind of a peculiar amount of time around cemeteries. Interesting fact about septic and well permitting and cemeteries. There is no legal setback requirement for a septic system from a cemetery, but there is a 50 foot setback requirement for a well. Uh, so you have to have a well 
in North Carolina, at least 50 feet from a burial ground, which makes an awful lot of sense. Yeah. And I would say 50 feet is a little low. I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's a generous. uh, Is it? Okay. No, I know. Meaning like it's generous to the people who might want to build a well close to a cemetery. I don't think it, I think it's, I think it, it might be a little close, but a lot of times those rules are really based on some kind of scientific study that involves like how far effluent moves or how how the water table is affected by things so right and then uh so thankfully when we stumbled across the cemetery while working to permit a septic system both the soil scientist that was involved the people buying the property nobody wanted to disturb this cemetery in any way shape or form it was handled with utmost respect and uh not bothered so that's good and i'm sure that's common i don't know anyone that would want to unless you really needed to move a cemetery especially a church would not want to move a cemetery uh so uh this was something that I did not know, but some cemeteries have clauses built in for time limits on grave sites before they can be reused. So some cemeteries reuse grave sites. If a grave site is X number of years old, a hundred years old, 200 years old, uh, some cemeteries will reuse the grave sites. Yeah, that's actually really common in Europe where the space is limited. I know um, where, um, some of my family is buried in Germany. There's a time limit on the gravesite, and um, after that time limit, they will basically um, put put the remains somewhere else, and someone else will go in that spot. Just because in in cities um, packed in as they are, and the cemeteries are ab- absolutely gorgeous, but there is a time limit um, in those gravesites. Yeah, and. Uh... A lot of people, probably particularly in the United States and other places, have a serious issue with uh, that. Uh, And then some places it's totally normal. Uh, In, I was reading about southern China and how it is often a cultural tradition to, after a certain amount of time, exhume your family member, clean their bones and rebury them in an urn uh, with ceremonies and such. And it's considered a duty to do for your family members as part of the ritual of uh, saying goodbye to loved ones and honoring your ancestors. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Uh, Yeah. And it's similar, I guess, and possibly even for space reasons, but has been ceremonialized to be more than just, oh, we don't have any room, we need to move you. It's, we might run out of room, so let's make it a thing where it's a, it's a part of our duty to respectfully move our family members a certain amount of time after they've passed away. Uh, and then in terms of headstones, uh, if the interred bodies are moved, the headstones are often moved. But a lot, you know, a lot of times, the the interred remains may be cremated, 
they may be moved to an ossuary or a, a, some other type of vault. And so the headstone will often just be destroyed. Uh, the park in Dublin I went to on the Dublin ghost tour, which was a lot of fun. We didn't see any ghosts, but it was just entertaining. Uh, the headstones that nobody came to get had been just shoved up against the wall of the park. So they were sort of part of the decor. Uh, That's pretty cool. Like if you have the, where the markers out, like if you had the actual like names out, it's cool. It'd be like a wall of people that used to be there. Yeah, it was a lot of them you could read. I don't know if it was all of them. We didn't closely examine, but uh, it was at least nice in that it indicated the previous use of the park. And uh, I mean, honestly, a lot of cemeteries, especially European cemeteries, were intended to be utilized as parks with interments, uh, meaning like visiting your family members, uh, having a picnic near them, things like that. So it's pretty reasonable that they would be repurposed into parks when they were already purposed as parks. And we talked about this in our first episode, too. We talked about cemeteries and how, at least in the United States, it doesn't seem to be common for people to visit them like they used to. Like, like cemeteries used to be like parks, and people used to go and actually hang out in them and, and have picnics and stuff. So this is interesting. Mm-hmm. And a harken back to episode one. <laughs> yeah, and we're, I think we're all the way on episode five. Are we? Of us. Yeah. Yay! Yay. Uh, let me, oh, VA cemeteries and, and military remains. This is specifically U.S. code. I'm sure military remains are handled differently in different places. Uh, but so cemeteries that have military remains can be transferred to the Department of Interior if they've been discontinued in use, so inactive. A lot of times inactive means nobody's been buried there in tw- for 25 years. Uh, so the transfer can be to the Department of the Interior, uh, involving, you know, things like national parks or to local municipalities, uh, if they care for the cemeteries to the same standard that is required by the National Cemetery Administration. And, uh, so that actually, I wonder if that is why the Maplewood Cemetery is so well-maintained. Because there are a lot of military remains there. And and both, um, I think a lot of Confederate soldiers are there as well as Union soldiers and World War I and World War II soldiers are there as well from the walkthrough, from yeah. what I could see. And there may be even more. We, only, we went through the smallest part. Uh, right. And uh, hopefully we'll get to walk through more. Uh, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll do a little video. Yes. Just, you know, showing how lovely it is. It really is a beautiful place. The the guy that owned the land that uh, eventually became Durham, he is supposedly interred there. He was originally interred somewhere else, um, and then they moved him. This is topical. And then they moved him um, to Maplewood Cemetery. And then um, they got his middle name and his death date wrong, apparently, on the stone that is standing there. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, speaking of, of uh, not doing in, interments, right, disinterments and then and moving the body, right? <laughs> death records 
are an adventure. And I'll tell a story after I sort of wrap my thing up. Because uh, yeah. I've been telling an awful lot of stories about cemeteries. But <laughs> I, have, I have birth and death record stories that are brief. Uh, finally, the VA secretary can actually have the remains from a discontinued cemetery that should be under the administration of the National Cemetery Administration to a cemetery that is under the National Cemetery Administration. So that can be a part of the, the VA's job is, is properly honoring veterans' remains. And we've discussed mummies. Oh, uh, the O'Hare International Airport is built on cemeteries. Yes, it is. And then what else? Let's see. I think I might have covered everything I was hoping to. Oh, this one's interesting. So what constitutes a burial and then a, an exhumation? Uh, it depends on what the law states, obviously. Uh, in England and Wales, once the top of a coffin has been lowered below ground level in a burial, if it is raised again, uh, say, for example, the gravesides are protruding and need further work, this is considered an exhumation and the home office are required to be notified and a full investigation undertaken. Huh. So if you just got to pop the casket out a little bit to do a little bit more work on the uh, grave before you bury someone it's technically an exhumation and it technically has to be investigated so the grave diggers in england and wales are probably exceedingly careful yeah because man that would be a jurisdictional pain i i would assume so and you probably would get in trouble for that (laughs) yeah it's i would i'm sure you would get a reprimand at least Uh, you know a a little hairy eyeball from your boss Uh, (laughs) I obviously grew up listening to Arlo Guthrie. Uh, (laughs) So in a nutshell, when a cemetery is discontinued for use, it's usually either to build something on it, like the O'Hare International Airport, or to be flooded for the Tennessee Valley Authority for dams, or say uh, a house on private land, etc. you need to get the courts involved for moving human remains because uh, corpses do have rights. And uh, the remains may be moved to another cemetery. They may be moved to a cemetery specific to their vocation in life, such as veterans being moved to National Cemetery Administration uh, locations. Uh, sometimes the remains aren't moved at all. Sometimes they're moved to museums. Uh, not necessarily in accordance with their wishes, but it sort of depends on the uh, culture that does the digging and the culture that does the uh, examination of the graves. And uh, with headstones and tombs, sometimes they're left there without the body. Uh, You know, I mean, the uh, exhumations of mummies in, say, Egypt or South America are good examples of leaving the marker and moving the body. Uh, And then sometimes just sort of regular folks, markers are left, even if their bodies are moved. 
So that's where do discontinued cemeteries and the remains therein go? Awesome. And then I'll tell my brief birth and death record story. Uh, when I studied abroad in Ireland, I was tasked with inventorying and writing the history for and mapping uh, the local cemetery. And it was very interesting. And I was given access to the birth and death records of the local church. And I was also tasked with recording the birth and death records on the headstones. And there were a large number of very small discrepancies. Uh, There was one woman who had two different birth dates and three different death dates, depending on where you looked. Okay. Uh, (laughs) And poor Bridget, and I don't remember her last name, but I don't know when she was born or when she died. And I don't know if anybody can figure it out. Uh, Was she maybe a vampire? I don't think so. Okay. I'm, right. I'm glad you mentioned that. I wasn't going to say it, but uh, so one burial location for people presumed to be vampires oh. is a crossroads. Uh, and that was considered sort of the next best thing to hallowed ground. Uh, and there's a specific definition to crossroads, uh, but it was not uncommon if someone was suspected of being a vampire that they would be buried there often face down so that they could not figure out how to get up and out of the ground. Uh, Cause apparently rolling over was a challenge for vampires or something. I don't know. <laughs> and it was not tremendously uncommon for their heads to be removed and placed into their chest cavity as well. Uh, so that is a discontinued grave use. Cause sometimes people were buried and then other people assumed they were a vampire. So they were reburied or simply when they died, they were buried in a crossroads. I don't think Bridget was a vampire. She had a regular grave. Okay. I was just like, how I, this brings so many questions to my mind and they're not topical, but um, why would you presume someone is a vampire? Oh man, there are a lot of good podcasts about vampire hysteria. Uh, a lot of it was consumption when they didn't understand, when people didn't understand what caused consumption and how it was passed from person to person. Uh, you know, the, the paleness, coughing up blood, thinness, uh, almost sort of a hectic energy. I think hectic flush is sort of the look of uh consumptive person uh they were often assumed to be vampires or somebody was assumed to be uh feeding off of them feeding off of their blood and it was a vampire it's it's a it was a not uncommon assumption when it was not understood what caused tuberculosis oh how terrible for those people so they had this horrible consuming tuberculosis and people also thought that they were becoming vampires or they were vampires yep wow that's terrible yep (laughs) those poor people yeah or the people who thought that you know their loved one had been turned into a vampire and was trying to turn them into one like yeah and they had and so they just they not just had tuberculosis they had tuberculosis so they were dying painfully and 
thought that their relatives were trying to turn them into vampires. It's just yeah, how sad. Awful all around. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm kind of glad that vampires don't cause tuber- tuberculosis, and we figured that out. Yeah, that's the good thing. <laughs> yes, it is. I used to work at a memorial gardens. Actually, um, I worked there briefly. I was working for a a um, temp agency, and that's where I was sent for a couple weeks. And so I worked at a memorial gardens. And a memorial gardens is different than a cemetery in that um, a memorial gardens um, they're very strict about how it looks. Mm-hmm. They don't tend to have any graves stones themselves they have stuff that's flush with the ground they tend to have they're all very uniform they have tend to have rules about what flowers can go out and um so so that was interesting but while I was there with there was never an exhumation or anything so I can't add anything there but yeah there was a lot of strict rules about burying people you Mm -hmm. know which is a good thing yeah, exhumation and disinterment, it seems like they're not common. And I think maybe we think about exhumations a lot because, a, a lot, I shouldn't say a lot, but maybe we think exhumations and disinterments are more common because of things like uh, procedural dramas. Yes, they're always exhuming bodies on those. Yeah, or getting mad because they can't exhume it because the family doesn't want them to. And it's like, no, what? Most families don't want you to exhume their family members because it's very important to them or they want it done a very specific way and do not want it to be deviated from. So that's my best guess. Yeah. So it seems like every other episode on NCIS, I mentioned this again, (laughs) they're exhuming somebody's body. And I'm just like, wow, why you always got to be exhuming people's body? Because there's, you know, trace evidence on them or uh, apparently that's not common either. Yeah, not, it's not, it's, it's a legal challenge to do, which it probably should be in that. I agree. The history of grave robbing is ugly and does not reflect well on us as a species and so it is it is good that we are working to codify treating other people's remains with at least the the you know treating them as best we can as people but also with grave robbing that was uh, a lot of the churches um Uh, feelings towards graves and um, death and that was honestly the only way you could study anatomy in many parts of of Europe is grave robbing Mm -hmm. pretty much yeah so it was sad and people their remains were disrespected but it also gave us a better understanding of the human the human creature the corpse true how our how our internals work and such (laughs) so what are you talking about today sarah so this is interesting because i had planned to talk about this for uh, two weeks now and just yesterday or the day before i got a notification because google thinks i'm obsessed with fatbergs now (laughs) (laughs) But 
I'm going to be talking about fatbergs. And there was recently a fatberg that was found in um, in Sidmouth in Devon, England. Um, and it is said to be 210 feet long. <gasps> and it is uh, said to be longer than the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Um, and they estimate that it will take eight weeks to cut it up and remove it. Oh, it's, it's got to smell so bad. Yeah. So Ooh. what is a fatberg? I know you know. I know you know, but I'll tell y'all. <laughs> fatbergs, and, and I had no idea what these were until someone said to me, you need to talk about fatbergs. And I'm like, what the heck is a fatberg? But a fatberg is when a fat oil and grease and other unflushables make their way into the sewer and form these congealed blobs that end up blocking sewer systems. And they're made up of rancid fat, human waste, and whatever else like tampons, condoms, other garbage, and specifically flushable wipes are the huge culprit in why these are getting so enormous right now. Yep, don't flush wipes. Yeah, so so when you dump meat and grease down the sink, um, and rest and restaurants do this too, they're not supposed to, and then the non-biodegradable stuff goes in, the, the, the grease actually goes down and it gets cold, so it congeals, and then it latches on to stuff like flushable wipes and diapers, and then it, it forms um, this concrete Chalk-like substance is what one worker in um, an interview I saw with him is what he said. It, it's like concrete, and it gets into the sewer system, and it basically blocks the sewer pipes until nothing can flow out. And then um, you end up with having sewage overflows on dry days, and that's called dry day flooding or sunny day flooding, <laughs> and that's how they generally know there's something going on down there. So one of the most recent and the, one of the most famous um, formed in, uh, they found it in 2017, but who knows how long it'd been feeding. <laughs> they call it feeding like it's this, like it's this living being. Um, was 150 tons and over 800 feet long. It was in Whitechapel. Um, which is um, in That's London. That's almost a football field. Yes. It took workers over nine weeks to break it up, suck it up, and remove it. And it was so famous and so enormous that the Museum of London actually took some of it and displayed it along with some of the protective gear of the workers that had been working on it. Um, and so I guess some of it went to a factory to make biofuel. So that's kind of an interesting aside is that mm. there was a factory that took, takes the grease and makes biofuel out of it. And then the rest goes to landfill. So smaller ones can be broken up with water jets. Um, but the really big ones have to be broken up by hand, um, to a manageable size. And then they're dug out by workers. Oh my God. Isn't that horrible? These poor people. So the, the sewer work is really dangerous when you have to do this. And p uh, the people working down there have to wear protective gear, obviously, and like actual masks, because when you start breaking up 
this disgusting pile of wet wipes, human waste, and rancid fat, the gases escape, and you oh, can't breathe that. Yeah. Yeah, you can't breathe that. So they have to actually wear protective gear and actually have to wear masks and such. Do, so, they, have to, do they have to wear, like, piped-in oxygen, like a scuba yeah, so I read that I read that um, if there's not enough air down there, they will actually pipe in air so that they can actually breathe, so they can stay down there longer. Wow. Because otherwise, you would have to go down there for a little bit, come back up, go to, and that just you know it takes a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> so the it seems like wet wipes were the biggest culprit of, excuse me, why these were getting worse. Um, that. They say that they're flushable, but they're not. You know, you can flush a lot of stuff. It doesn't mean you should. Yeah. <laughs> there are multiple lawsuits right now against um, makers of flushable wipes um, because they say they're flushable, but they're not biodegradable. So they're just going down there and contributing to fatbergs, basically. Well, and particularly, you know, biodegradable I don't know what the legal definition is for that term, but they, there's different kinds of biodegradation. There's aerobic and anaerobic. And if, right. if something can get oxygen and degrade, maybe they can call it biodegradable, but if it's being surrounded and soaked by fat and water, there's not enough oxygen for it to biodegrade. So it's not going anywhere. Well, and there's also toilet paper. Toilet paper is specifically made to break down in water mm -hmm. and break apart in your sewer system, which is why you will have septic safe, safe toilet paper as opposed to different toilet paper. Um, and yet I remember in the 80s and 90s, um, there was a thing about tampons clogging people's pipes. Mm -hmm. And people, now that it's common knowledge, you shouldn't flush them. I, I know I'm sure people still do. But, yeah, I don't know um, how common the knowledge is. I think a lot of people still flush really uh, menstrual supplies. Yeah, I, I, this is terrible to admit, but I think I was reading a BuzzFeed article about it or something like that, and people were defiant. They're like, I'm still going to flush it. I don't care. Wow. So. Okay. Yeah, so I grew up hearing never to flush them. Me too. I grew up hearing one thing and then the other, um, and I think it was because there was – there was um, sewage issues where I used to live and they were pretty much like, don't flush those. They clog your pipes. They're basically just wads of cotton and they're going to clog your pipes. They're going to get trapped on the, the roots of trees and clog your pipes basically. Makes so there's sense. a, yeah. yeah, there's a few really famous fatbergs. This one is the newest one, the one in Sidmouth. Um, the Whitechapel one I mentioned, um, and that was the biggest one I think they've ever found. There was one in Macomb County, Michigan. Oh yeah, uh, Macomb, but yeah, Macomb. Okay, um, a hundred. It was a hundred feet long, eleven feet tall, and six feet wide. And I think that was around the same time as Whitechapel, mm -hmm. um, Fatberg. And then there was one in Baltimore, Maryland, um, that was. They found it because there was a million gallons of sewage over, overflow. <gasps> That's so much. Yeah, it's so gross. And it blocked 85% of the sewage flow downtown. Um, and they estimated it to be about 100 tons. 
downtown Baltimore. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that gross? Oh, um, man. So the smaller ones, as I said, can be broken up by water jets and you can actually watch YouTube videos if this excites you or, or, or you want to know. And they have videos of the water jets actually breaking up the smaller ones. The big ones have to be broken up by hand, like I said. Um, and that all goes to landfill um, mm -hmm. where, you know, it contributes to landfill waste. So I think um, the main reason that fabrics are such an issue in England and like the older part of the United States is because the sewer system, this can happen anywhere. I mean, they can get enormous anywhere because of, you know, grease, people dump in grease down the sink and, and um, flushing non flushable things. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that the Victorian sewer system is a huge problem in London. I'll bet. And also, and Sidmouth, I guess, is blamed on tourism. I guess that's big tourism in in the summer months because it's a coastal town. And so they have a huge influx of people um, during the summer months. And so when you have a huge influx of people in, and the pipes can't really handle it, I guess. Um, well, they could handle it if people didn't flush all kinds of grease and 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 um and flushable wipes and whatever the heck else they're flushing mm -hmm. i guess condoms are kind of a problem too oh, gee. Um, yeah yeah so i guess the the lesson from this is is uh is don't flush flushable wipes they're not actually they're flushable but they do terrible things to the sewers. So and is an ice cream cone. If you've got a powerful enough toilet, don't flush it. Don't flush <laughs> ice cream. Don't flush wipes. Exactly. And if you have grease from like bacon and stuff, um, put it in the, wait till it cools a little bit and put it in the trash, like maybe on like a bed of, of paper towels or something. We always um, pour ours into a tin can and leave it in the fridge until it's full of whatever. Mm -hmm. And then just throw it away. Yeah. That's a good way to do it too. I know some people save grease. That seems to be an older thing that, that older people do. Um, so if you save cooking grease, that's a thing to do too. And you can reuse it, I guess. I've, I've never done that. Um, I've reused bacon fat. Yeah. I know my husband has too, but I haven't. Have you ever found old grease in someone's house? Well, cleaning it out for an estate sale yes it's so disgusting Ooh, yuck it's like they um they haven't cleaned their pots in like six years or whatever and then just put them back like that it's just full of grease yeah it's gross oh. <laughs> yeah people do that <laughs> or they don't understand how to how to take care of cast iron they think uh. that they don't need to like wipe it out and kind of clean it and then respray it they um I, I know this is probably not common knowledge, but um, when you when you have a cast iron pan, you only clean it a little bit, like unless something is really stuck on and gross on it, um, because then otherwise you have to reseason it. Mm -hmm. But people just don't clean it very well, so there's like disgusting smelling food still stuck in it, and then like layers of of grease still in it. Yeah, that's, that, that's exciting. But anyway, <laughs> so I mean, I guess restaurants could be a big problem with this too, if they're not disposing of their oil properly. I know that, um, 
There are companies that will come out and recycle your oils um, and turn them into biofuels. I know that there was one here in the Triangle area called Piedmont Biofuels. They'd actually come and collect oils and um, make biofuels out of them. My I neighbor feel- does that. I want to I wanna interview Jurgen about that at some yeah. point in this show. That's very cool. Sorry to interrupt, um, but I'm no, you're that. fine. Most restaurants are inspected. Um, depending on the municipality, they have to have a proper way to dispose of grease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when I was a barista, um, we had a grease trap in one of the places I worked, and it it hadn't been cleaned in a long time. And milk fats are horrible, 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 horrible smelling. They're so awful. Um, so you, people, you actually have to pay someone to come out and clean it. Um, I don't know what the restaurant rules are. I've never worked for the health department, but I know that a lot of municipalities are like, Hey, you need to have a proper way of disposing your grease, especially like fry grease and, and things like that. Yeah. So it's, don't a, jump- it's a component of a health inspection to verify that the grease trap is properly operating and being emptied with a degree of regularity that keeps it from being really hazardous. Yeah, it's really an a horrible smell otherwise. It's a horrible smell. Yeah. So the Fatberg in Whitechapel, that was an interesting one. Um, there was a show that was on BBC that I couldn't get because we're in the U.S. Um, I looked everywhere for Ooh. it. They, it was like dissecting a fatberg. It sounded, yeah, it actually sounded quite interesting. And it had like all kinds of life inside of it. It was like, it, it had its own little ecosystem going. It, and it sounded interesting. And I'd, I'd love to, if I could find it anywhere, I couldn't when I was looking for it. Maybe someday it'll come up. Um, but it had like its own ecosystem. There was like flies hatching from it and it was just it was fascinating to me that it had started its own ecosystem it was so enormous and had been there for so long that it became an entity in itself (laughs) that's that's a rough life it's horrifying but it's also interesting it's amazing it is amazing it's like life persists yeah, Even life, in a horrible, disgusting fatberg. <laughs> life uh, finds a way. That's a good way to put it. It finds a way. So there you go. There's fatbergs. They go to uh, they go to a landfill pretty much, um, unless some company comes through and takes all the grease out and uses it for biofuel. Man, I did not know a lot of that. I knew what a fatberg was, but mm-hmm. I did not. I guess I I tried hard not to think too closely about it because that's just (laughs) I was so horrified when I found out what they were I was I I like feel like an evangelist for not flushing wet wipes now and I'm like don't you flush that (laughs) yeah just please please just put them there's there's almost always a little trash can next to your toilet most people have it I don't think I've ever not seen a little trash can somewhere in someone's bathroom just put the wipe in there. Yeah. It's okay to use them. And, you know, unless your dog gets into it, you're not going to spread germs by putting it in a trash can and then taking out it with the trash. Mm-hmm. Just please. Or, you know, just putting uh, water on toilet paper. I that mean, too. I mean, there you go. <laughs> like, 
I mean, you'd save money. But then we as millennials and late Gen Xers will be killing the wet wipe industry. (laughs) (laughs) We kill everything. I understand that some people, like, they make their lives so much nicer because they have issues like hemorrhoids or whatever. Well, and home health care workers. I think it's very helpful for home health care workers. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But you can can just throw them in the trash and then throw the trash away. As a home health uh, worker, um, emptying the trash regularly is usually something that you do in places where you know, in the bathroom and in um, someone's bedroom where there's going to be, if you're like helping them clean incisions or something or helping them clean themselves um, anyway. So Mm -hmm. just throw them in the trash. It's okay. (laughs) Yep. And that's where it goes. That's awesome, Sarah. Thank you. I don't know if you should thank me or... No, thank you. It's really gross. But frankly, I was just talking about disinterred bodies so yeah that's true I don't, I don't have room to gripe and it's i i feel deeply for the people that have to clean these up because it's it's not only gross but one of the first things that they teach you in permitting septic systems is do not put your head in a septic tank oh my god no do not let anyone do it the most common number of deaths involved in putting someone's head in in or around a septic tank or trying to climb into a septic tank is two because the first person passes out from the fumes and then drowns. And then the person that goes in to try to save them passes out from the fumes and drowns. So it is so dangerous. That's awful. Yeah. So what should you do if somebody passes out and ends up in the septic tank? Like, should you throw a life preserver? If you can get them a stick or a line or something, that's helpful. If there's, mm-hmm. or I guess maybe like a pool hook, but otherwise you need to call 911 and let them know that they need someone who has a breathing apparatus. And yeah, uh, don't die yourself. Yes, because you're not going to help them, and uh, you'll both be dead. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate, and it's it's just a, I mean it's. I'm my skin is kind of crawling thinking of going into a sewer system and hand digging out this fat and waste and wipes and that's just hard work for these people like talk about a dirty job yeah bless those people yeah thank thank you you. for doing it thank you thank you for putting on gear and cleaning up our mess yes that's awesome yes oh my gosh I can't even imagine. I've had some dirty jobs, but that I think I would, I would not be able to do. I would be fascinated by it and just be like, wow, that's fascinating. But actually like digging it up. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I could do that. I've done some bad stuff for jobs before, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know either. It's. Those are brave people. Yeah. Yeah, that's where it goes. Where fatbergs go. And by the way, fatberg is a mix of two words. It's a mix of fat and a mix of iceberg. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if like people thought it was like Berg, like a town. No, it's good to point it out, especially because some of them are the size of small municipalities, it seems like. Oh, and when I looked up Fadberg, there was actually, I think he was Dutch. I'm going to say he's Dutch. He was actually making his own Fadberg. Um, just, I think it was an experiment. He was taking grease and fat that he had rendered down and just pouring it into like this vat of water it wasn't a vat of water it was kind of like a separated piece of the sea or something that he had and he was just pouring the fat and it was like this it was becoming this enormous blob and his his goal was eventually that he could stand on it like he was actually making an island out of fat which I found fascinating. I was like, oh, that's interesting. When I was looking at Fatbergs to watch videos, which is why Google thinks I'm obsessed with Fatbergs now, I saw that. So that's interesting. I should have a link to that guy's um, art piece. In the that's show definitely notes. a use of one's time. Yes, that's a use of your time. <laughs> uh, good luck, sir. And, and, and Godspeed. So I wonder, like, if the if his Fatberg, like, if it would come to life, like, if it, in some weird, crazy alternate reality, if it would like come come to life and like and like start talking or something, like, would we have to treat it as a sentient being? Probably, it would probably <laughs> think that that guy was its dad. Father. <laughs> <laughs> a soft-spoken, posh British accent. This isn't. This is my fat baby. <laughs> oh, man. When he couldn't get too hot, like, you would have to keep him cool. Yeah, like Frosty the Snowman. Exactly. He could only live in, like, Antarctica until the, until the ice melts anyway. Yeah. I guess he could float around. Yeah, probably. I mean, the ocean, <laughs> the ocean is a great heat sink, but it, it is pretty chilly. Uh, truth truth do you have a, a reuse i do i do awesome. i'm so excited about this um i don't know why i discovered it and i was like but of course you can do this so i don't know about you or, or anybody else but um the collection of of old t-shirts is an issue at my house um they seem to come in and not go out mm -hmm. um for whatever reason it's like you're attached to them and you love them and you don't want to throw them away but at the same time you can't take them and donate them because they're not in good enough shape so they end up sticking around so this project is actually making um t-shirt yarn which i was like of course you could do this i've had t-shirt yarn from scrap exchange before and done stuff with it mm -hmm. so you basically take the t-shirts and you cut them into strips and from there was a couple ways to do it the way that I saw that made the most sense to me was to take the t-shirt um, lay it out and then cut it so that you're cutting out loops basically mm -hmm. and then use the loops and like um, link them together just like I was talking about in oh, episode plarn. one yeah um, about the the plastic yarn yeah and then you end up with t-shirt yarn which you can crochet with and I'm really excited about this. I'm going to be doing this this weekend. I think I want to make myself a sweater out of t-shirts. That would be so snuggly. I know, right? 
and you can make bags and stuff. I think I have enough spare t-shirts um, between my husband and I that we could probably seriously make a couple bags and a sweater out of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And uh, I know crocheting does this and I don't know if knitting does this, but crocheting uses up a lot of yarn. So you could use a bunch of t-shirts up just making one garment or bag or yes hat probably be a really nice hat oh that's a good idea i'm excited about a t-shirt hat yeah a lot of the t-shirts that we have are just like free t-shirts from trade shows or whatever like well contractors association maybe (laughs) right so i don't think we're gonna keep the wording on it Mm -hmm. But the color, the color mix will be really fun. Unfortunately, I think we're going to have a lot of black because both my husband and I wear a lot of black. So I think we're going to, maybe I'll make like a separate yarn ball of black and mm. then different colors of the other one. Well, and you could do like black stripes. Oh, good idea. When you're crocheting. That would look yeah. cool. I'm very excited about this. I'm doing that this weekend. I should put it on our, on our, um new Instagram. Yeah. Uh, that would be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you, Sarah. I, I now I want to go cut up t-shirts. Exactly. 